Welcome everybody to the Chinchilla Pickin Podcast. It is August the 6th, 2023 at 4.30 p.m. My name is David Underwood. As always, I'm joined by Brandon Beaver. We hope to be, I don't even know, what what, what do we hope to be, Brandon? Educational, uplifting, entertaining. Entertaining, educational, yeah, okay. and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. See, I was hoping you would have it and you didn't. You didn't. I oh, did well. have it. I just had it backwards or inside out or something. Yes, it's educational, entertaining, uplifting, man. Entertaining, educational. Just get all three of those in there and we got it somehow, some way, right? Yeah. Same thing we've been saying for almost two years now. We've been doing this forever, seems like. Um, And now we have a good rhythm. Every single Sunday we record, so it's pretty consistent. Everybody knows when to expect it. Um, I think we have a good rhythm. we're, We're getting weekend listeners now. I, I, that's weird because we we publish on like Sunday night, Monday morning, and you're gonna listen to us the weekend after. It's, uh, I mean, sure, whatever. Yeah, it was fine, but I just uh, you know, for a long time we had no no weekend listeners at all. Everything came Monday through Friday, which is completely understandable for a stocks program. But uh, we had a few this weekend and a few last weekend too. So, uh, great majority usually still comes through Monday through Friday, but. Yeah, it is what it is. It's cool. There you go. Well, we thank you for listening. And if you are listening and you like us, please hit subscribe. Please hit follow. Uh, that's how we grow organically and continue to gain more listeners. And then maybe uh, we get a nice little advertiser here and we can start doing uh, public live shows again. I mean, we have the banner. We have all kinds of stuff ready to rock. We got the equipment. We're, we're ready to roll whenever. So, yeah, if, if, if you have a, a store front and you want us to come to a place near you, let us know, man. We'll come on by. Brandon and I will travel. So, all right, Brandon, 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 Brandon. I, today I went to saw the Picasso exhibit here in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio. There's a traveling exhibit of Picasso paintings, and uh, they have this 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 thing going off every so often when you're in this uh, exhibit looking at these paintings, and it says, "You are too close to the painting. Please back off." And it's just funny because I think they just randomly have it going off because there's nobody really really getting that close to them, but. Would be like what you should do is you should walk up close to it and fake a sneeze. <laughs> Most of them were cased in glass. There were a few that were not. Um, yeah, that would be funny, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, the volunteers <laughs> there would probably the count on me. Sneezing <laughs> like accidentally headbutt the glass. <laughs> wow, uh, Picasso painting ruined in Cincinnati, <laughs> right? You can see the headlines now. Um. All right, man. Um, I do want to start off uh, by uh, really eating crow on a call I made last week um, before we get into the show. Um, and I, I called Apple and I said, Apple's going to hit 200 this week. And it did the exact opposite. Apple did beat on their uh, numbers, uh, but there was more of the guidance. And, you know, as you dig into the report, more of like, you know, where everything's going. And it, it just goes to show you, Brandon, that, you know, a, I get things wrong, you know, and I admit it here on the show every single time. So it may sound like I get them wrong a lot, but I really don't. And then B, um, you know, it's it's more than just those those top uh, those top of of head earnings when you see an earnings report. There's a lot more to it. You got to really dig in and read the guidance going forward on these companies. Yeah, but see, most people don't do that, which is why it went down. They just saw third straight quarter of declining iPhone sales, and you know. They didn't really dig into it and see, well, you know, it's kind of expected. 
it's expected. And then people took, you know, it was either a panic or it was a um, excuse to sell and take profits. I, and, I think it was more of an excuse to sell and take profit. I hate to interrupt you, but I think it's more of that. And, and, and I'm not too concerned about the iPhone sales when they have so many other services they offer, plus the fintech. And But I'm worried about the fintech. But they have all these Apple services that they offer to people. And every time I go by an Apple store, it's completely packed. So I'm, I'm just... You know, I wasn't concerned long term with the stock, but I made a short term call and it yeah. didn't turn out. Yeah, yeah. But it is another good example as to why the initial reaction to a stock may not be the right thing. And if you're investing, it's a good thing to go into the uh, earnings, into the actual report, into the you know the income uh, statement, the balance sheet, cash flow, and all that stuff. And try to see if if what's actually happening on the market makes any sense. And I'm going to have an example for you for this in the market where there was a reaction to the downside on a stock that I'm no normally bearish on, and I think the reaction was wrong. And we'll get to it later in the show. But you know, always doing your own research, never taking the headlines for what they're worth. Take them for a grain of salt, and then you know maybe use the headline as a basis or as a reason to do your research and see if those headlines actually make any sense. Right, exactly. So um, just a little update. Uh, I did not sell my position. Um, I'm not DCAing at this level because it's still within a 5% uh, last time I checked of where I bought it. So I'm not dollar cost averaging. If it goes lower, I'll dollar, co dollar cost average. And the reason why, for me, in my personal position, if uh, I have enough cash on hand, I can continue day trading and hold this position. Apple, I believe, is a great company long term. So I know eventually it's going to go up and eventually it's going to surpass the the amount I need to make a profit and make a nice profit off of it. So I'm not too concerned about I just didn't want to have to hold it long term. I didn't want to have to be in an investment in it. But for me, I have other cash on hand I could use to continue day trading. Most people do not. So if you were a day trader and you bought in and you are down like that three to five percent, I would take the loss because you bought it for a short period of time. It didn't turn out. It's a loss. It is what it is. And then you move on. You don't hold on to losses. Um, that's not the right thing to do. So I'm kind of doing contrary to what my advice is usually, uh, which is I'm holding on to a loss. But that's because it was. it's a good company to hold long term anyways as an investment, even though I was trying to play it as a short term day tr uh, trade. So take that for what it is. I'm an investor now. <laughs> all right whatever whatever I'll, I'll i'll take the hit um all right so rules 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 brandon and i get together five to ten minutes before the show and we tell each other what we're going to talk about you actually hear the live discussion back and forth here on the show that way we save it live for you and we don't hide our feelings uh brandon uh go ahead and go first man all right berkshire hathaway reported earnings and no surprise, they knocked it out of the park. Berkshire's gains from investment and equities, $33.05 billion. This was in quarter two. And compared to a loss of $66.86 billion a year ago, this is another number that, uh, you know, once again, Warren Buffett tells us we shouldn't pay that much attention to, but I do anyways, because I like to look and see where their uh, equities are. But these are unrealized gains. Last year, they were unrealized losses, so... What does it really matter to the balance sheet? It does a little bit, but not so much compared to their uh, cash, you know, cash on hand and their operating earnings. Cash pile swelled to 
128.59 billion dollars at the end of last year. Um, and then it went to 147.377 billion dollars at the end of this June quarter. So pretty large increase there of almost a 20 billion dollars. Um, third quarter operating earnings came in at 10.04 billion dollars, higher than last year's 9.42 billion in earnings. Uh, the increase uh, in operating income. This was mostly reflected in insurance underwriting and income, and that went from. $715 million to $1.25 billion. Now, transportation company BNSF, the railroad fell. Its energy uh, company earnings remained flat, but Berkshire's uh, investment in derivative gains, $25.87 billion compared to a loss of $53.04 billion last year. Cash and equivalents increased from $128.59 billion at the end of 2022 to $147.377 billion at the end of the June quarter. I'm not paying attention to my notes, Dave, apparently, because I just literally rewrote everything I said at the first part of this, but oh well. So nice, nice earnings for Berkshire, despite my uh, my uh, clumsy recitement of them this time. Uh, good earnings from Berkshire Hathaway, still hold for me, still remains the stock that you will have to pry from my cold, dead hands. And I may be leaving this stock to somebody when I die. Who knows? Dave, are you on mute? I thought you had your hand raised. Are you you trying to say something? I'm trying to say you can leave it to me, man. You can okay. leave it to me because okay. I, I have healthier habits than you. I might outlive you. Um, <laughs> look, uh, Berkshire's uh, cash pile is, is tremendous, man. $150 billion in cash. Uh, Warren Buffett's just looking for another great company to uh, go ahead and invest with. I don't even think it's uh, Buffett making a lot of the decisions lately. Cause like you, you, you announced like a few years back when they made their uh, Apple um, decision that that, that did not signal Warren Buffett to, uh, to you and I, that signaled uh, the people underneath him that work for him. Um, and uh, they, they sold Warren on agreeing to it. So yeah, you know um, I, I like the future Berk Berkshire halfway. I believe Warren and Charlie can move on and the company would be just fine. They have a strong team underneath them, and uh, they, they're good for the second generation to uh, lead the company, and they, they have the same values and beliefs that uh, Buffett and Munger have. So it's it's a good group there, and they're going to continue with that cash on hand and make great investments. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and we already know who the successor is going to be. We already know, you know um, that he's going to continue Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's uh, – philosophy with this company there's not going to be any surprises one way or the other it's going to remain a behemoth yep. next thing yep. that i want to do here i want to go on to a company that i have been historically and consistently bearish on now i'm not necessarily going bullish on robin hood here but there's a reaction to the earnings that i think was kind of goofy and the stock sold off by about 12 percent this week this was because monthly active users or you'll see it as maus for robin hood decreased to 10.8 million and that was 1 million fewer compared to the first quarter 3.2 million less uh from last year but let's take a look into the uh the balance sheet and the income statement here and, and and I'll kind of show you why I don't really care that much about this. Actually, it seems like this company is starting a turnaround here. Um, 
They turned a profit for the first time as a public company. That surprised everybody. And uh, Wall Street was expecting a small loss. I think they like only had a, a profit. Earnings per share was like up uh, three cents or something like that. But this is this is a kind of a big deal for them. Now, looking to expand expand on their revenue, in June of last year, they agreed to buy financial technology credit card firm X1. They they decided to pay ninety five million dollars for this. This was a firm that was initially valued at $63 million by Wall Street. But go ahead, Dave. What, you look like you got something to say here. I, I do have something to say, man. And this might be some of the cause of this. So I believe, uh, and reading in just briefly, I, I mean, while, while you mentioned Robin Hood to begin the show, and I knew you were going to go down this route, I started briefly reading some articles on here as you talk, you know, and then as I talk, I could sometimes tell when you're reading different stuff. Um, I'm reading here and I'm reading about uh, who sold Robin Hood last week. And I don't know if you're aware, but Alphabet. Yes, Google, as I was I was gonna get into it. They shed 90% of their of their share count. Well, it's 4.3 million shares. And I don't know if you guys are aware what happens when a company sells one million shares of another company, but that makes a huge drop. Um, that happened all at once because most of the time you don't do it at once because it makes too big of a drop and uh, it's too obvious. You do it in steps. And that way, you know, there's a sell, then you buy up and then sell, and then people buy up and you sell. And that way you're not like um, causing a huge drop because uh, I don't know if anyone remembers back in the day when a trader accidentally hit the wrong zero and sold a million shares of P&G all at once. And the P&G stock went down to $1 for, I believe it was like three seconds before he went and bought back the million shares. And there was people who had like uh, 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 just dreaming, had like, you know, buy a thousand shares of P&G if it hits a dollar and they actually end up making lots and lots of money off of it. But um this this is what can cause a big jump uh, drop like this in Robinhood because I think Robin, like you said, is doing everything right, and I think they're doing well because we, you and I have talked about the innovation on this show, and the innovation is what makes Robinhood good and a a big factor in the marketplace. But go ahead, continue. Yeah. Okay, so Google shedding nearly ninety percent. Uh, I don't care so much about that. I mean, there's there's other things that Google has to. Um, that they have to, you know, focus on that they're probably going to put that money towards. And they've owned Robinhood since like 2013, 2014, way before it was a public company um, and, and way before it was on, you know, Wall Street. So I, it doesn't really matter to me because I, I don't know the reason Google has not commented on why they shed 90 percent of their shares. But Let's go to what Vlad Tenev said on the conference call. In Q2, we reached a significant milestone by achieving gap profitability for the first time as a public company. I agree. That's a, that's a pretty good milestone there. Uh, if if you don't know, gap, G-A-A-P, that's generally accepted accounting principles. That's a common set of accounting rules, standards, procedures issued by the Financial Accounting Standards Board. Now, despite the profitability, the stock dropped 12%. Probably a lot because of Google. Google probably, uh, you know, initiated sort of a panic and investors were kind of looking at the decline in users at a time on investment by retail stock investors has become frothy. But, um, at the end of May, they said that uh, you look at Reuters, Reuters said that retail buyers were snapping up stocks and they, they were snapping them up similar to when they were snapping them up during the meme stock frenzy of early 2021. So a lot of people buying stocks at the beginning of this year, and that kind of makes people concerned about the declining monthly active users for Robinhood. But 
if they're increasing revenue and increasing profitability with the users that they have, and nobody's really like talking about how much money and how much, uh, you know, in the accounts that the uh, monthly active users that left had, obviously it wasn't much, you know, it was nothing to put a dent. And so they're still making profit here and they're still making revenue. So to put Robinhood's users and in totals into perspective though, and what people were looking at, the company had 18.6 monthly active users in November of 2021 and then they even had 14 million monthly active users in the ugly days of June 2022. Now, if you're looking at it right now, it's 10.8 million. So quite the drop there, I will say, but does it even matter? Um, if you look at equity that um, Robinhood has in their balance sheet for, for their current clients right now, it's $160 billion. A year ago, it was $163 billion. Not a huge decline there, right? So now you can see cryptocurrencies did decline quite a bit. We're looking at $11 billion for the previous quarter, $19 billion for a year ago. But the average account balance now is, it is 3,836. Average account balance a year ago was $2,803. So, um, so basically, all the numbers you're saying means that the the people who had left Robinhood are the people who were actually not the good traders. They only had like ten or hundred bucks in their account, and they were trying to turn their hundred bucks into a million in one month. And they figured out that they, they couldn't do it, and so they got out. Yeah, and so net revenue for Robinhood four hundred eighty six billion dollars compared to last year three hundred eighteen billion revenue. So I mean, way up, and it's been so you, by the way for the past four quarters. It's been going up every quarter. So here's my question. Like, uh, uh, so knowing that now Robinhood has a more stable user base of people with actual money in there to trade. And, uh, you know, Robinhood has great, is still leading in innovation in the um, trading platform section, uh, sector of the, of the economy here. Um, would you buy at its current price of $11 and 20 cents? No. <laughs> Why not? More Why not? About it now than I was. Well, because here's the reason. Because I still think that there's a good chance we're going into a recession, and um, Robinhood's margin, the operating margin, is still only four point eleven percent. That's that's still a very thin margin. That still leaves them very very susceptible to any potential uh, recession that we may be having in the next year. Robinhood has escaped a uh, a big you know um, uh, I think a big problem that they could have had uh if we would have had a recession at the beginning of this year i still think that robin hood could have had the possibility facing them that they might not exist after it um but they have worked very hard they have turned things around and so with that being said it's a 4.11 percent operating margin it's not great but it's better than negative right and it was negative and it takes a lot for a company to turn that corner, it takes a lot of hard work by their executives and by their employees to do it. They're on the right track right now. I'm just still a little iffy about the future only because of the possible macroeconomic shift that we may be you know, seeing in the future. Jamie Dimon says there's still storm clouds. All right. I mean, I, I like Jamie Dimon. He's, he's right most of the time, so... 
you know, uh, I, I don't know. I just think Robin Hood's too innovative to go away. Um, and uh, their core staff is still there. Yeah. And that's, listen, the startup uh, X1, a lot of people criticized uh, them buying it for $95 billion um, when it was initially valued at $63 billion. But, you know, that's kind of what happens when a, uh, when a company goes and buys out another company. They see that extra value in it. They pay up a little bit for it. Um, I think the the thing that Robinhood was really looking at for X1, this credit card startup, is that they have a program for its users that instead of you know getting the uh, rewards points back in cash or in discounts on products, you can use the rewards points to buy stocks, which is actually a really, really cool deal because you're essentially getting stocks for free if you're doing that. Um, and I think I think that's probably what Robinhood was looking at. Uh, when they launched this trading platform for X1 for the uh, credit card users, they said that it would give their card holders the ability to buy stocks using earned rewards, rewards points. And by using credit card points to buy stocks instead of cash or their savings, it's a safe way for many consumers to start investing. I think it's a good idea. There's no real downside for investing this way. It's technically free. Uh, and one of the companies that the uh, the founder Deepak Rayo said that they were looking to compete against was Robinhood, but Hood bought them out. So um, another reason why I'm kind of iffy about uh, Robinhood price to sales ratio is still at six point eleven um, times, uh, and that's way above the capital markets industry median of three point three. Price to books only 1.43. That's not that bad. But it's just kind of, there's there's some mixed signals here. I don't think that it should have dropped, though. I just, uh, I think a lot of people are just missing a lot of the good news here. Um, despite the drop in monthly active users, equity uh, under uh, under their contracts there, under, under their control, didn't really fall. Average account balance rose. Net revenue's been on the increase for the past year. And then if you look at total current assets versus liabilities, this is what I was looking at about six months ago when we first did the show. And I was worried about it because it was pretty flat. In fact, I think the assets were lower than the current liabilities. And that's what I was scared about, right? That's what I was worried about with Robinhood. Because if you if you talk about current liabilities, that's liabilities that are due for the company in the next 12 months that they'll have to pay. Current assets, those, those are assets and cash and things like that that they could get control of over the next 12 months. That's usually what you use to pay down your current liabilities. Total current assets, uh, $28,106,000,000. Total current liabilities are now $21,356,000,000. It doesn't really look like there's any problems with bankruptcy right now unless we have a steep recession. Nice. Adjusted EBITDA over the past 12 months, uh, which ended June 30th, it's positive $395 million. So again, why wouldn't you buy this? It's just the valuation faced with the current recession. I'm not really, gotcha. so I'm not going to eat my words on Robinhood here. It's just, I mean, it is, it's a surprising, spectacular turnaround. I'm not biased against any company. If I was biased, I'd be a terrible investor. So and I wasn't wrong when I was ringing the alarm bells on Robinhood either. I was right to do that. But they've they've kind of beat the odds here and they've made quite the turnaround. I think for other you know people, if, if you're not expecting a recession to come in the next year, 
fine. Buy Robinhood at this price right now. It's pretty fair, fairly valued. I don't think it's super undervalued or anything. So like that. So someone like me, you would say, tell me to buy Robinhood because I don't expect it. I would tell you I was okay with buying Robinhood at this point in time. <laughs> I don't think it's overvalued. I don't think it's undervalued. I think the 12% drop was an overreaction. I, I see nothing negative here other than just the fact that, you know, 4.11% operating margin is still very low. But it's if you're taking this earnings report and comparing it to prior earnings report, quite the turnaround. All right, cool. Well, uh, I think the Bears have had enough talking time on the show. Let's, let's have the bull take over. Let, let me tell you this real quick. <laughs> let me let me tell you this. Not, you know, I'm not saying to buy Robin Hood, but I'm a little bit more comfortable with people having their money in Robin Hood now. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think they've dropped enough. They've uh, scaled enough and they've cut the costs and they have some great innovative ideas. Why not? Right. Surprise me. It really did. Cool. All right, man. Um, I, I, I went into this earnings report looking for bad things to say about them. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I guess it's your turn now. No, no I mean, you see, every time I try to transition, you're just like, no, I got something more to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. Yeah, you know I mean, if you got to say it, say it. You know, I, I don't want to I don't want to move on until you, you felt like you've got to say everything. Oh, I'm good. All right, cool. Moving on. <laughs> All right, so I found this cool headline here, and it uh, came out the, today, 8 a.m. today, on CNBC.com. Um, I look every, uh, just so you know, I look everywhere. I, I research all the news sites and all the stock news sites for headlines, and you know that's kind of how I do my macro event uh, trading and sometimes investing. You know, come across some good investment ideas this way too. But I found this really cool one. It caught my eye, so I decided to read it. Um, so it's on CNBC, and it says the robots are coming. And the companies building them are looking for workers. So I was like, okay, I got to read this. I got to see what they're going to say about, you know, the robots are coming. This sounds this sounds fun, right? Um, so what they're talking about, the World Economic Forum, they did a study. They found that 6% of companies operating in the production of consumer goods and the oil and gas industry project jobs will be lost due to automation. But. 60% of companies operating in information and technology services expect jobs to be created due to robots in the next five years. What are they talking about? Here's what they're talking about. If you've ever watched a movie, say the last Total Recall with Colin Farrow or um, Elysium with Matt Damon, if you're into those sci-fi uh, dystopian future type things, you have uh, robots everywhere. I, robot, right? Um, with... Uh, Will Smith. You have robots everywhere, but who's making robots is people. People are in manufacturing plants making robots for low minimum wage. And then you have uh, robots out there doing all these jobs that the the people could have. Um, and then you have the two-tier class, basically, and all this, anything. Now, I don't want to get into any of that, but I want to say um, that's yeah, that, that's what they're really talking about in this article. When I read through this article... It's talking about how robots are going to go ahead and take on all these jobs. And it gives some examples here. So some of the examples it gives were at Chipotle, you have the avocado robot, which it's the robot that its only job is to prep avocados for guacamole. I'm sure that's, that's a high-paying job. That's <laughs> sorely missed. And, and then, hold on. And then also has the chip-making robot for uh, Chipotle, from Miso Robotics, uh, 
with Chippy is its name. So it's they're taking away the making of avocado and the making of chips from people uh, with these robots. But that's just some of the examples that this uh, article goes into and talks about. Now, it's it's interesting read, and uh, there is a lot of automation and robots. And I've talked about the Tesla robot that can actually carry boxes and bend over and move things, mm-hmm. and how it's coming along really really fast as well in the show. And that that's that's going to be a humanoid robot. So there's non-humanoid robots, and then there's humanoid robots. Non-humanoid robots are just that they just look like a machine and they're doing their, their job. Humanoid robots are meant to look like humans and do things like pick up boxes, move them, or do tasks that ro- uh, humans do uh, currently. Um, and so there's there, there's these two sections of robots that are going to eventually, they're talking more and more and more how they're going to take on these jobs, especially in the restaurant industry is the focus right now. They want to get rid of basically the whole kitchen staff and just have robots in there. Um, thoughts real quick, Brandon, because you seem like you have something you want to say. Well, first of all, I want to go back, and this is maybe primitive technology compared to what we're talking about right now, but the ATMs, they were so scared that they were going to take the uh, bank teller's jobs, actually it created more of them in the long run. Because what, what this does, the automation creates more room for growth for companies. And if it's you're saving money, and what you instead of preparing avocados, somebody from Chipotle can go do something else that's of better value. Instead of having a cashier up front at a grocery store like Kroger's, what the automated, um, you know, the the self-scanning technology does is it allows Kroger's to then take those, those jobs and then put them in the back room because they're stocking more products that are coming through because of the, uh, um, the, uh, What's the right word for it? It's actually they're picking online orders is where those jobs shifted to. Yeah. It's shifted from cashiers to more people picking online orders. And because, but partially because of the efficiency that's created by those self-scanning aisles and the, and the, um, and the, uh, grocery stores, these things don't take jobs away. They don't, you got to think about, think about this. Who's creating the robots. You said it's low paying jobs. But I'm sure there's some high-paying engineering jobs that are going into creating those robots too. So right. and, yeah. have jobs being created to make the robots. And yes, there's some low-paying manufacturing jobs that go into that. But I'm sure the person that was preparing the avocados at Chipotle is probably not getting paid, you know, all that great either. So it, it's gonna either even out for the companies that do it wrong that you'll lose jobs in those industries and those companies will actually hurt because of it. But for the most part, you're actually creating more jobs and more growth for the United States economy. Exactly. And so I want to, I want to talk about, okay, that's just one section, right? That's what, that's one sector of the market. Where else are they uh, automated and taken over and where is it sorely needed for, uh, for robots to take over? And that is trucking. And we've talked about it on here. You have, Waymo, Wamo, whatever you want to call it, uh, from Alphabet. Um, you have Uber self-driving cars. You have Apple self-driving cars. You have Tesla self-driving uh, cars. And those are all in cities of San Francisco, L.A., Phoenix, and Austin. Those yeah. four cities, you go in those four cities, and you have all those companies have self-driving taxis available for your use. And uh, those those are going to be expanded nationwide here very soon, I'm sure. And I'm sure you'll have uh, uh, protests in New York and other cities like that where taxis are a huge part of the social atmosphere, if you will. Um, but 
right? So uh, you you have it sorely needed in certain areas, and where you have it sorely needed is trucking. That's where you have it sorely needed, and I I. I I'm a little late to the game on this company, but I do like this company. And I'm talking about Aurora Innovation, right? Mm-hmm. And this is another one where I, I got some information from CNBC, but then I did my own research. So Aurora Innovation is a company that is able to take a truck that's ordered. So let's say you are, I don't know, you're Kroger, right? Because we just talked about Kroger and you're you want to buy new trucks for your uh, fleet. So you could buy a new truck and you could say, hey, can I get the Aurora Innovation uh, system put put on my truck when you deliver them so that they're all self-driving Thomas trucks and it can be done. Um, Aurora Innovation has already done millions and millions of miles of testing on all their trucks. They've been having them drive around the country uh, with a driver in the cab, safety driver, but they actually aren't touching the wheel. The trucks have been driving themselves. Um and they've they've been going everywhere. You see a lot of this on the L.A. to uh, Dallas or L.A. to Austin routes. You see that with Whammo. You see that with Tesla. And you see this with Aurora Innovation. And you see with uh, it used to be Uber Freight, but then Uber and Aurora really partnered, got together. Because if you look at the financials, Uber has a twenty five percent stake in Aurora, and Aurora has a stake in Uber. So they are trading information. So that uh, both can grow. So Uber's getting information from Aurora. Aurora's getting information from Uber, and it's it's a partnership that is so far working well for both. And uh, and and Aurora really is the one that's really gonna like really profit the most from this because it's unlike Tesla. Tesla makes their trucks from the whole thing from ground up. Aurora's gonna be an addition you can request on your trucks when you order them. Okay. And so that's that's the kind of the difference in Aurora Innovation versus Tesla. Um now they are expecting to have trucks making deliveries. This is this is the current headline and this is what really made me like the stock. The current headline is Aurora's going to will have trucks on the road running routes across the United States with no drivers whatsoever in the cabs come 2024. Okay. 2024. So less than one year from now, we're going to have trucks running across the country with no drivers. Well, and let me, let me, t- let me, can I add something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. The amount of fraud and theft that this is going to reduce as long as those trailers are locked up securely and tracked correctly is going to be phenomenal. And does the trucking company even have to have their truck stop? At a uh, at a truck stop, if they don't have a driver and there's no you know uh, repair problems happening, so so let me talk a, a little bit about some of the benefits of this. Um, the example that Aurora Innovation gave was it usually will take up to three days for a truckload of strawberries to reach go from L.A. to Dallas. So instead of three days, you could take the ship and get it down in one day um, because you don't have to stop or you don't run out of hours. They don't take breaks, so on and so forth. Um, they're only limited by the size of the gas tank or uh, the range of the electric uh, battery. Um, so they're only limited in that regard. And there's also a savings on um, how much uh, miles per gallon, because instead of having to go 75, 80 to make their time and order to get things on time, they could just go 65 the whole way. Uh, they don't have to speed and they can uh, actually have a gas savings because of that. And so it's more consistent, more efficient, and it's uh, safer all around. As long as the tests continue to prove that it is safe, then you know it's going to be safer for everyone involved. 
Well, it'd be 55, right? Still, they still have to follow the 55 mile per hour trucking laws. Uh, only where that's applicable. It's not applicable okay. everywhere. Okay. So, some places it's 65, some places it's 75. So, um, if they, you know, basically they don't have to speed in order to get somewhere on time. They could just, the computer will say, no, this is the speed we're going for the most gas mileage, uh, savings. And they're going to hit that. And, uh, so it's, it's, I think it's a good move in the trucking industry. I see Aurora right now. Let's talk about the stock. So let's go to the stock. Um, I have it pulled up. Um, they have a 22% institutional ownership, a 15% institutional mutual fund ownership. So a lot of this is owned by institutions and mutual fund. Um, insider ownership, 40% is owned by inside the company, which is, you know, I mean, they really believe in this company. Uh, here's the thing, though, is that is a pretty new. So it hasn't been around a whole lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um. It did IPO at a, a higher rate than it's at now. I believe right now um, it might have a pull back. So right now it's, it's at $3.06. It IPO'd back in November of 21, around $15, went up to $17.50 right away and has come down quite a bit. And uh, I believe rightfully so uh, because it hasn't produced a profit yet because it's still, it's still building this out like the, they haven't produced a profit yet because they haven't been selling anything yet. Again, this is you're buying this well before the the they start selling and actually making money. They're still uh, making and producing these things and innovating yet. They haven't even come to commercialization yet. So um, at three dollars, Goldman Sachs, uh, who follows this, uh, they have their price target right at three dollars, and they have a neutral rating. Um, and so do a lot of other companies have a neutral rating and price target right where it's at. Uh, they believe that's where it's gonna stay. Uh, the the trading volume on this has really jumped since uh, right around uh, May June of this year when a lot of things these things were announced. I'm I'm a little late to the game, like I said, and that's why I'm waiting for a pullback. I see a lot of cooler uh, momentum here, like it had momentum, it jumped up, but then it comes back down, and then it goes up, and it comes back down. And it has bigger swings since it is a, pen, a penny stock right now because they're not commercializing and they have they don't have a product to s- sell yet. And so uh, I believe there's you're still going to have these wild swings. And I say take advantage of the swings. So I wonder what it would take to make a uh, semi truck compatible for Aurora technology. Well, uh, they could work with most semi trucks, and it could just be an added a uh, added piece. To uh, to a semi truck, if you request it to make it uh, to make it um, added, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of work from what I can tell, and it's just added sensors all around the front and uh, sides of it, and uh, they can track out. And actually, their lidar sim- system, everybody's familiar with lidar from the whole MVIS craze back in the day, and we're we're all familiar with what it does. But if you're not, it's like a radar system. And it shoots out, and their lidar system is very accurate, up to 400 meters away from okay. the uh, from the semi itself. So it covers quite a range, um, uh, quite a range of how far away it can track um, actual things. Uh, on top of the lidar system, you have the cameras and the sensors and all those other systems built in. So you have layer upon layer upon layer. Um, it's going to be really uh, a competitor to the Tesla trucks and the the Waymo trucks. As long uh-huh. as it can detect mechanical problems, um, and if they do it right, it might even be able to detect those problems, you know, quicker than a human can. 
but as long as it can detect mechanical problems and as long as they have some way of making sure that that truck gets to a shop when it needs to get to a shop. Well, that and here's the other here's my other concern with with this company is. As do you, certain states within the United States push to uh, all electric only for new sales, this this firm has to be able to work with electric trucks. Um, that wasn't exactly covered or whether or not that's the division for Aurora Innovation. I know with Tesla, that's the vision. So I still believe that Tesla has an advantage over the other trucks in the sector as far as autonomous driving because they already have the electric trucks, which is what people want going forward and with the autonomous stuff you're still going to have to have somebody in the truck i think to be able to pay for mechanical you know repairs it's just a good way to get away you know get get around the uh the dot regulations for right now um and to make it no they're not going to have to have someone inside the cab again by 2024 aurora innovation trucks will be doing routes for uh companies with nobody inside the cab whatsoever but what happens if you have a mechanical problem and you need somebody on site to pay for it? The truck will pull over to the side of the road and they have contracts with uh, companies that are nationwide. Okay. Most most companies do. I would I would assume, you know, the JB Hunts of the world do. Maybe not o- owner operators or anything like that, but Yep. And so uh it, it's it's all been thought of. They're going to have it's, it's going to have nobody in the cab. And they're going to be able to run. And so I think that's where the future of trucking is. Um, however, we're a long way from it. I know they say next year they're going to have certain certain routes, but it's all the same routes that everybody else has. It's just L.A. to Phoenix or Phoenix to Dallas or Austin, Austin to Dallas. It's the same routes. Um, as soon as they start going from, like, say, Chicago to Cincinnati or, you know, Chicago to Kansas City or New York to, uh, you know, Newark, you know, the different different sites all around the country. That's that's when it's really going to be um, the 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 change is in and the swing is in, and this is where we're all headed. And as long as these continue to be just you know L.A. to San Francisco and L.A. to Phoenix, you know that's we got to broaden outside that. I know that yeah. the interstate there's flat and it's very easy to drive. I've driven it. I was I was in college in Texas and drove to San Diego on spring break numerous of times. Um, it's a very flat, easy drive, but you know, we got to branch out. Yeah. And you know what else they could do with all those sensors, uh, and technology that they put on it, put on the onboard scale. <laughs> there you I go. Mean, seriously. I mean, cause if you're going to up on, if you're going to load up a truck that doesn't have a driver, you need to make sure that it's not going to be overweight, but I would assume that that wouldn't be a problem. Hey, Aurora, hire me. <laughs> you can email me. You can email they, me on my chinchilla picking email. I'll check they, it sometime next year. They are uh, out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So okay. Rural Innovation, their headquarters are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but they are currently working out Dallas as well. Agree, though, though, right? Like with all those sensors and stuff, you could do an onboard scale. Nobody, nobody has them right now, I don't think. You have to drive 100 miles out of your way sometimes to get to a scale of your truck driver. And to see if you're overweight or, or not. And by then, you've been driving 100 miles to see if you're overweight. You might might have driven 100 miles overweight. Put a scale right. on it. Solve that problem, too. It's it, I, I think it's a great idea. Right now, we don't really have to worry about AI being smart enough to drive the freight you know, down into Mexico and then try to hold it for hostage yet. So um, lots of fraud and lots of uh, abuse and, and things like that will be avoided by using this system if it's used correctly. 
but it's coming and it's coming to the roads next year. That's my point. Uh, okay. It's coming faster. So we need to start looking at that as possible uh, ways to uh, invest. I'm just throwing one out there. There's lots of other companies doing this, guys. Uh, take a look at them. See the companies that make the parts that companies like Tesla and Aurora Innovation need. You know, that's, that's where MVIS a couple years back got to be blown up the way it did because everybody thought MVIS was going to sign all these contracts and instead other companies went with it. But there's there's lots of other small companies that are going to benefit from all, all these things. Start uh, seeing who makes this part and who makes that system and who makes this LiDAR system and why is this one better than the others? And those are good questions to ask that will help you find a good profitable one. Yeah. All right. Um, one thing I wanna I wanna cover: Lucid uh, Motors. Um, this is another headline that came out. They're going ahead and they're cutting the cost of uh, their their cars down some more. And this is all because of Tesla, the leader in uh, the EV market in the United States, has continually lowered the uh, the price tag of its cars because they found cheaper and cheaper ways to make them, and uh, they're trying to maintain com- competitiveness. So other companies like Lucid are going to have to do it as well. Now, the problem with that is that Tesla can still eke out a profit margin while lowering the costs. These other smaller companies that aren't as big as Tesla may not be able to do that for long. Tesla can do this longer, hold out, and really financially choke hold these other smaller companies so they have to give up, and then Tesla can raise prices again. Um and I, I believe that's what Tesla is trying to do. They're trying to be so competitive that, uh, hey, if you want to compete with us, you got to lower your prices even more. And now they're not making a profit. Thoughts, Brandon? Well, that and then that's Tesla is one of the companies that I would worry about adopting the technology on their own to to snuff out Aurora. But <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. So it's just a, anytime you have a great idea like that, you kind of have to worry about like one of the bigger companies that's already established taking it and, you know, making it more mainstream before you can go public with it. Well, I mean, like I said, Tesla already has autonomous uh, trucks out there on the road. So does Whammo. They have autonomous trucks out there on the road. They still have drivers in the cab. They're not planning to go driverless anytime soon. Aurora is the only one planning to go driverless next year. Yeah. Um, so these other companies have drivers in the cab still. Uh, the, the the benefit that uh, Tesla and Whammo have is that they are also can be EV vehicles. Um, and, uh, Aurora seems to only be fitting currently with gas combustion or diesel, sorry, diesel, uh, diesel trucks. Um, I don't know if it is, uh, compatible with an electronic vehicle, uh, an EV truck. So I don't have an answer for that, but if it isn't, then that gives Tesla and Wamo a huge advantage over them because that's the future. Right. Right. Cool. Uh, one last headline here I want to get into real quick is, and this has to do with oil. Oil is a sector that I watch. I I still think a lot of these oil companies are overpriced, man. Rigs overpriced. Exxon Mobil's overpriced, but it's because of uh, things like the Russian pipelines that continue to have problems and continue they, they quote unquote get sabotaged, whether or not they are or not. They are not running. Uh, Poland is actually taking upon themselves to fix some of the leaks in Russia's uh, oil pipeline. Uh, by Tuesday, they're planning to get in fix and get it flowing again, which I I find this kind of weird because here's where global global events, geopolitical events, are affecting the uh, economy on a very direct way, and that is with oil and Russia and and those events. Is that Poland moved its military 
uh, a big chunk of his military right to the border with Belarus last week, uh, beginning part of last week. And they basically were saying, Belarus, you know, back out of Ukraine, you know, stop pushing into Ukraine or we got our we got our military right on your border and we're ready to go in. Um, they do this. But then now this week they're fixing Russia's oil pipeline. And so it's it's very tricky to think that, OK, it is they're going to continue doing business with a company that they're pushing the military right on the border of um, it's. It's it's ironic and it's funny and it's scary at the same time. Like, you know, can we count on this Russian oil to come in and keep the price lower than what it could be because Saudi Arabia has continued to say we're going to continue with our cuts. We're not going to we're not going to start pumping out more oil anytime soon because they want to keep the price high. And and that that's where we're at right now is OPEC's continuing with their cuts. Russia's trying to sell at the regular price of oil, which they are actually getting to in some areas. Most areas are still uh, complying with the the rules that everybody agreed to, but some areas Russia's selling at a higher price. And so I don't know. With oil, I still think you know companies like Rig are overpriced because the amount of rigs we have operating in the United States continues to drop. Mm-hmm. Where is Transocean making all this money? Why are they up so much year over year? Almost 200% was it in, in the past year, I said. Uh, and that's ridiculous. When they, they, I don't see over 200% jump in business. You know, I'm not seeing where this is coming from for that, that, that big jump in the stock price. But, hey, if you were an investor in Ray last year, Transocean last year, you're happy right now. You don't care, right? Are they, being, are they becoming more efficient? Every, every company over the past 12 months has become more efficient. Yeah, and but- the reason why is because everybody pushed this narrative, including Mr. Brandon Beaver, that recession, 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 everybody was so bearish that companies just said, all right, we got to cut costs and we got to be a thin and, and nimble as possible. Not and so that, be- that is not a bad thing, but that became the aspect and the goals of every company, major corporation worldwide. And so they every company started doing that. Uh, that's why inventories were lo- have been lower this year and in retail stores. You see retail stores like, hey, we got lower inventory because we don't want to have the inventory glut that we had about a year and a half ago and have to deal with that. So they they ordered just enough to meet their customers' demands, but not more than what they think at all, not by any any means of, the, of that, which is great. It is more efficient companies, but it's uh, it's also like, I don't know. Can they expand if need be? At well, a what I'm getting at though more is is are is the technology of the rigs that they currently have efficient enough to where they don't have to add more rigs where they can cut rigs and then still produce more out of the uh, oil fields that they're currently drilling in so the 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 words from the industry i've seen a lot of articles recently on this uh some from heads of uh presidents of uh departments within these oil companies and some just from analysts of the oil sectors, uh, there's been a lot less applications put in for new drill sites, and the old drill sites are actually uh, starting to get down to lower volumes to where they're going to run it off, and they don't have new ones to replace it. Well, so no. as these as these things are coming in, they're just having fewer and fewer um, actually drill sites out there, okay. and that's that's what it is. It's just becoming fewer and fewer, and it's been a tougher process, is what the oil companies are saying. But BP has come out and said, "Hey, this we're doing this on purpose." We're trying to plan for the future. BP has consistently said that we, we're going to continue making money no matter where, where everybody goes as countries because they got asked, you know, with everybody going electric vehicles, are you guys going to make money? BP has consistently said we're going to continue to make money. We have lots of other ways of doing this. 
I, I guarantee these oil companies are already thinking 20 years ahead and how can we continue to make money if oil is not our main draw of income? So they're reinvesting this money in other areas. And so they're trying to really draw back. But overall, it's keeping the oil, cost of oil high. And eventually that's that will either need to come down or just going to be the new normal of the, the price of gas. Well, Occidental said that they could uh, oil as low as $40 a barrel would be sustainable for them. Right. And I mean, that's why uh, Warren Buffett continues to buy more and more Occidental. They're probably going to end up owning the whole company here soon. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. All right, Brandon, it is that time of the show for your final thought. I think I'm out. Dave, what can be what can be my final thought for this show with a massive headache at this moment in time? Uh, final thought, Robin Hood turning the corner right now. Maybe a very successful um, push in the right direction. So far, it looks like they're going in that direction. And it really surprised me to find that on this quarterly report. Uh, profitable again. Uh, we'll see if it maintains that way for the next, uh, you know, year or a quarter or whatever. Um, still is a show me company, but right now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know what, this is, uh, this is going a lot better than I expected for sure. There you go. There you go. My final thought is I'm adding um, Aurora innovation to my watch list. Um, as of right now, I'm watching it. Uh, I'm not really going to say a buy or a sell on this. I'm holding apples now on my investment list. <laughs> Uh, I would like to get it off my investment list soon, but uh, I might be DCA and if it drops even further uh, to kind of bring that cost down. And uh, I'm also going to be watching Tesla very closely because if uh, the stock market takes another turn and Tesla drops another 10, 15, 20%, it might be in my buy range at that moment. So who knows? It's 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 getting close to uh, to that range where I might buy in and make some money off of Tesla. But Nvidia continues to be high. I'm continually a uh, Nvidia bear. Um, I don't see that valuation uh, being possible. What is the PE? What two hundred forty PE? Some outrageous number. I mean, when you look at the fundamentals, it's a great company. Don't get me wrong; they're profitable. They're making money hand over fist, but they don't have the infrastructure in place to make as much money as what their stock price indicates a uh, price to book. It's not, it's not, it's, it's just not there. And so uh, for me, I'm still, uh, I'm still bare on the video stock price. So here's, here's a more intelligent put together thought for a final thought about Robinhood with the monthly active users that they lost. First off, those are monthly active users. We're not talking about people who just invest or who are using their 401k service that they have, which Dave, you've mentioned is actually a really good service uh, on a 1% match. I think it is, but still for a uh, you know, company that's not your employer to offer that really good deal. Those people aren't monthly active users because they're just investing and letting it sit. And if those people are more sustainable, and if they wind up bringing in more revenue over the long term for, you know, for Robinhood, then the three to six million people that they lost that were active in options every single day, and a lot of them eventually lost all of that money. If the customer base that they're aiming towards are the long term sustainable investors, then they're in a better position. And once they start growing that user base up back again, if they're profitable right now 
at 10 million monthly active users, and they're able to add more monthly active users that are sustainable, then think about where they're going to be at, especially if they get back to 16 million. But you know what? The people that they have right now, that's their base. I like that better than the meme stock crowd. Right. But where did the meme stock crowd go? That's the question. Broke. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. Well, we'll end it on that note. As always, we hope we've been entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.